Um, so we're, we're in this, this series called Passion. And uh, if you remember last week, we talked about uh, the kind of the, the, the case for the, the overall series is that our passion, I believe, our passion should match the passion of Christ. The passion of Christ, he, he gave everything for you and I. His entire life he gave for you and I. And I believe that our passion should match that, that we should give him our entire lives. As I was thinking about the message last week, I was like, man, I really hope that people aren't just thinking he wants us just to dance more or to shout more or things like that. I want you to worship God with everything you have. But my number one desire, and I believe it's God's heart, is that you will give him your body, your soul, your mind, your strength, your spirit, your entire being will be completely his and that you will serve him with joy all the days of your life. Amen? Amen. Not just today, not just on Sundays, but every day of every week of every year for the remainder of your life. So that's, we're kind of in this, this passion series. We went over that last week. Uh, this week, we're going to continue going through the last week of Jesus's life. So that's what we call Passion Week. It's that last week, the final seven days, um, starts on Palm Sunday when Jesus rode in on the donkey, and it ends really on Friday with his, his crucifixion is where we think it ends. But how many of you know there's Resurrection Sunday? Amen? Amen. So and that's Easter Sunday for for those that are not familiar, that's where we celebrate Easter. Um, with, that's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's when he rose from the dead. Um, and we're going we're gonna to continue over the next few weeks to continue to talk about this. But as I was preparing for what we're going to talk about today, I started, <laughs> I started thinking about things that are familiar. So when I get in my car, I, I put it in reverse, and then immediately my watch dings. And my cell phone dings. And it says, you are seven minutes to work. Okay, that's not when I'm driving here, but it's when I drive to the main campus, okay, in Battle Creek, where we live right now. Well, I'm seven minutes from there. So my car, the moment I back up, my car knows where I'm going. Um, a funny, funny story, not work-related, but the other day, Jillian and I were driving, and we were going to go to the church. So the ding, you know, it lets me know when I need to go. But we're just driving because, and we... I said, are you going to go to the church? And we just kind of keep, Jillian's like, oh, got to swerve and get over there. Because our car kind of has a natural tendency to go to Chick-fil-A. <laughs> like, we drive, like, this is to the church and this is to Chick-fil-A. So four times a week, we're taking Caleb to Chick-fil-A. Seven, six days a week, we're driving to Chick-fil-A. Like, it's just, it's a, a destination for us. It's a happy place. But you know, you just have these natural things of, this is just what I do. I do this every day. If I'm going to go to, you know, uh, Cafe Rica, the coffee shop, I'm going to get a tall pour over called Paradise. And that's what I'm going to get. I'm going to get the same thing. I'm very, very accustomed to just things that fit within a flow, kind of keep it going, normal, day after day after day, uh, those, those types of things. But how many of you know, I wrote this down. I said, I think the greatest threat to passion is routine. I didn't read that anywhere. 
So you, maybe you got to take it home and digest that a little bit to, to see where it fits. But I'm just saying, I think the greatest threat to our passion is routine. So think about the people that have been married for a really, really long time. If you're not intentional to keep the passion alive in that marriage, you just get accustomed to one another. You just go through the motions every day. Hey, I'm heading to work. Hey, love you. Or see you later. What's for dinner? Do you take the trash out? There's no connection. There's no communication. There's no passion because routine has begun to take over. And I'm not saying routines are necessarily bad. It's good to maybe get up in the morning and have a routine of some sort, but it's when that routine begins to take over the passion. And what I really, really want to say is it begins to take away the heart of why you're doing what you're doing. Amen? Following me so far? Okay. So today we're going to talk about communion. Uh, and, and we're going to go through, if you have your Bibles, on Luke 22. Uh, I'm going to give you a lot of scripture. I'm going to reference some things. Not all of them are going to be on the screen, so I really, really want you to write these down. Write, uh, put them in your notes and be able to go throughout the week and study them um, as, a, as the Lord gives you that opportunity and as you take time. But we're going to go through the, what we call the Last Supper. So when Jesus sat down in Luke chapter 22, Jesus sits down for what we know as the Last Supper. This is his final meal before he goes to the cross. The very next day, he's going to be crucified, and he knows what's coming. The disciples don't. Okay? They don't fully understand what's happening. So Jesus sits down at this last supper. It's, it's, what's, they're, they're moving into a season called Passover. So I want to talk through some historically, a little bit of the things that are going on here. Uh, and then we're going to jump into uh, a little bit more of the application side. Uh, but what, what Jewish, uh, what happens uh, during Passover is a, a, a thing called a Jewish I'm going to call it a Seder. It's got a much more Jewish sound to it, but in America, we call it Seder. It's like Seder or something like that. It's, it's really cool. Uh, but, you know, just kind of like being in the North, we say things certain ways and the South says things certain ways. I'm just going to call it a Jewish Seder, okay? S-E-D-E-R. But what this is, is this is an, uh, before, as Passover begins to, to start, this is, this is more of a celebration. So a Jewish Seder is a celebration thinking of when God brought Israel out of Egypt, okay? You got to go back in Exodus, in the book of Exodus, and read through what all took place for God to deliver Israel, out, or the Jewish people, out of Egyptian bondage. So very simple Think of being in bondage. Think of being stuck. Think of being a, a slave. God delivered those people through the hand of Moses, and it's called the Exodus, okay? When they exited Egypt into the promised land that God had for them. So this Jewish Seder, it's a time of celebration, of singing and eating. There's different stages involved, and it's a very very long event. It's not like an hour-long meal. This is multiple hours 
that they are sitting and they are remembering the Passover and they're remembering when, G, when God delivered them from Egypt. But they're, so they're, they're, it's at the beginning of Passover and, and during this night, there are four different cups that they're gonna drink from, okay? Again, you might write that, four cups. We're gonna go over those in just a second. But during the second cup is when they would tell the Passover story. So I just wanna highlight for just a second what happened at Passover and why they, why they are remembering. So this comes from Exodus chapter 11 and chapter 12. So Moses was sent as a spokesperson for God to go to Pharaoh. Pharaoh kind of ruled the land. He's the one that oppressed the, the, um, the Jewish people. Uh, he, he, he made them slaves. He put them to hard work. And God called Moses to go as a deliverer. He called Moses to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. Has anybody ever seen the movie Prince of Egypt? Yeah? Okay, good, good. So a couple people have seen it. So you kind of get an idea. If it's a cartoon, and at our house we watch plenty of cartoons. <laughs> uh, and so you can, you can kind of watch it and it gives you an idea. But uh, in Exodus chapter 11 and chapter 12, uh, you get the, the full story. Moses goes before Pharaoh. He says, let my people go. And he does this 10 times. And every time that Pharaoh's heart is hardened, God sends a plague to say, listen, I'm the one that's calling Moses to tell you, I'm speaking through Moses, that you've got to let my people go. But Moses is, or not Moses, um, Pharaoh's heart continues to be hardened throughout this whole time. So on the, the, tenth, the tenth plague, God tells the, the Jewish people that they need to go and they need to kill a lamb. And they need to take the blood of that lamb and they need to put it on the, the door frame of their house. So I want you to picture the, your front door. And I want you to, you to picture taking a, a, a bunch of branches. You dip it in blood. And you're going to put it on the door, the door frame of your whole front door. The reason they did this is because there was going to be an angel sent from God that was going to come in and he was, going to, he was going to kill the firstborn in every household that did not have the blood applied to the front door. That seems pretty harsh. But through the protection of that blood, every household that had the blood on it Nobody was injured. No, no children were killed. Nothing happened. They were saved by the blood. Pharaoh said, get out of here, go, take your stuff. And the, the Israelites were then, uh, they, were, they were free to go. They were released from bondage. And they could now go into where the promised land that God had for them. I need you to go back and I need you to read that story to get all the detail. I'm just going to give you some very high level points. But let's find it interesting. We, 
If you've ever heard the term, I plead the blood, okay? If you think about it, an angel of God could not pass the bloodline. And if an angel can't pass, a devil can't pass. So when we plead the blood of Jesus, I, daily I plead the blood of Jesus over my kids and over Jillian and I and over our home and over our marriage. I plead the blood of Jesus. I need the protection that only God can give. I don't want anything coming into my home. It can sneak in. Little foxes can come in and spoil the vine. But I pray in the name of Jesus that that blood is applied daily. So let's go through. I said there was four glasses. The four glasses that they would drink, the second glass I said would, would speak to Passover. But where do these four cups or these four glasses come from? They come from Exodus 6, verse 6 and 7. So this is what, when, the, when the, the, the Israel would now goes and they do this Jewish Seder, these four cups, these four cups are based off of these two portions of Scripture. It says, therefore, in verse 6, it says, therefore, say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. And I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. These four I wills are what, what the people were remembering during this celebration. They're remembering the four I wills of what God was going to do. So I will bring you out. Cup one goes for I will bring you out. It, it's a sanctification. Sanctification means to be holy, to be made holy. A cup two says I will rescue you from bondage. That's the blessing, the freedom that God brings as he delivers us. Cup three, I will redeem you. So redemption, to be purchased, to pay the price. Cup four, it says, I will take you as my people. That is an, that's adoption, acceptance. That's what those four, cup mean, four cups mean. But I want to go to Luke chapter 22, and I want to read. Jesus drinks from a couple of these, or, or talks about a couple of these cups, but one of which we're going to focus on. So let's go to Luke chapter 22, uh, verses 14 through 20. I'm going to read this here. It says, When the hour had come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. Then he said to them, With fervent desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks. And he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks and broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper 
saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which I shed for you. So you'll notice in, in two different portions there that, God, that, that Jesus talks about two different cups. The third cup, the one he took after dinner, is the one we're going to land on. Because that's the, the cup of redemption. That's the cup that Jesus talked about and he drank from, that third cup. So, because it says, it says in verse 20, likewise, he also took the cup after supper. That's when that cup was, was given, that cup of redemption. So what is redemption or what does it mean to be redeemed? So I wrote down just a couple things. It says, compensate for the faults or bad aspects of something to gain or regain possession of something in exchange for payment, to get or win back, to free from captivity by payment of ransom. So if we think of Jesus talking about being redeemed, he's talking about this cup of redemption, he knows what's about to take place. The disciples do not. But I wrote down, what are we redeemed from? So as we talk about redemption, we talk about this third cup and the, the, the last supper, or what we call communion now. What is it that we're actually redeemed from? Why does Jesus bring this up? So there's a modern gospel that goes out that says a life in Christ will give you love and joy and peace and blessing and provision. But that's not all that the gospel is. If you hear the term gospel, I want you to think of good news. So yeah, it's, it's great that we have love, obviously. It's great that God gives us life. But what are we redeemed from? We are redeemed from a place called hell. That's not a very popular subject in the church today. But I would do you a disservice if I did not bring up to you that there is a heaven that is as real as you are sitting here today and there is a hell that is real as you are sitting here today. There is an eternal destiny for every single person sitting in this room, watching online, anybody that will ever, ever hear this message as the Holy Spirit takes this message into the community through the ways that only he can do it. There is a real heaven and there is a real hell. And Jesus died so that we would spend eternity with him in heaven. He wishes that no one should perish. No one should go to hell. He didn't send people to hell. He rescues from hell. That's the Jesus we serve. He gave every single thing inside of him for your salvation, for your redemption. He purchased you with his blood. Hell's men mentioned like over 50 times in the Bible and it has different names. But hell is a place reserved for Satan and his demons. It is not intended for you or I. But our sin separates us from God. 
Hell is an eternal place of torment. It's complete separation from God. God is not there. If you are looking for peace, God is not in hell because he's the, he, there's no peace in hell because God is the Prince of Peace. And if he's not there, there's no peace. God is love. And, and there is no love in hell. The Bible even uses terms like weeping and gnashing of teeth. It, it describes it as a place with a putrid smell. He wishes that nobody would go there. So why do people go? I mean, the easiest thing to do is just think, ah, oh, that doesn't exist and move on with life. That's the easiest thing to do. But it's not the truth. The truth will set you free. Isaiah 59, verse 2 says, But your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Romans 6, 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. John 3, 16 through 21, let me read this quick. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I told you last week that Jesus' passion is you. You're why he did what he did. But it goes on to say in verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people have loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who hates evil or who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen clearly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. There is hope. It is so easy to hide sin. It is so easy to hide in those things that separate us from God. But God, through Jesus Christ, he gave it all. And he's like, come on, just, I already see it. I already see it. I just need you to see it. Because I don't wish that you carry what you're carrying anymore. I don't wish that you carry that addiction to pornography. I don't wish that you carry the hatred. I don't wish that you carry the pride and the arrogance. I need you to lay it down. I see it. I don't want you to carry it anymore. I want you to have life and life abundantly. That's what Jesus wants. In Exodus 6, 6, I'm going to move on. In Exodus 6, 6, it says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. That's that third cup. I will redeem you with outstretched arms. Outstretched arms. There was no other way. 
for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. Through Christ Jesus, not being better, not trying harder, not any of that. It's through Christ Jesus. That is that third cup that we drink from. In those outstretched arms, Jesus had the, the authority to lay his life down. Nobody took it. He laid his life down that you and I would be saved, that we would have our sins washed away. See, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Jesus shed his blood that your sins would be forgiven, that your heart would be given to him, and you would have life more abundantly. So what do we do with all this? What do, what do we do? You might be sitting here this morning saying, I, maybe it's I don't want to go to hell. I, I, I get that. But I need you to know that it's so much more than not just going to hell. This is not fire insurance that I'm offering you. I could probably preach it that way, but that's not God's full intent. He wants to save you from hell. He wants to give you life, life more abundantly. Yes, in heaven, but right now he wants to walk with you through every single day of your life. With an outstretched arm, Jesus gives this invitation to us. It's an invitation to trade our sin for his forgiveness. An invitation for you to trade your guilt for his acceptance. He took the guilt. He took the shame. He does not want you to carry it. Remember that God, Christ, demonstrated his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So will you close your eyes Bow your heads with me. I'm going to give you a minute. These Jewish people had done the Passover many, 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 many times. They had heard. Now, nowadays, we celebrate communion, which we're going to do here in just a few minutes. But before we do that, I want to give you an invitation. First of all, to those who know Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior, you know your, your heart has been made right with God. And this story has become familiar to you. My prayer for you today is that you will never get over being saved. It will never become just familiar. That Jesus on the cross will not become familiar. But will be something new and fresh to you today. 
And if you're in this place this morning and you've never accepted Jesus into your heart, I, I like to say this. If you know that your heart is not right with God, that's your number one question you've got to get answered. Is, it my, is my heart right with God? You might be here and you might say, I, I think it is. I hope it is. I'm trying really, really hard to be a good person. I just said it. Trying hard to be a good person will not make you right with God. It is faith in Jesus Christ. Romans says, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And I want to give you that opportunity today. If you know your heart is not right with God, and you want to make sure today that it is, would you just slip your hand up right now? Raise your hand. If your heart is not right with God, slip your hand up. Awesome. 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 Praise God. Awesome. Wow. Romans 10, 9 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, it says you shall be, pray you shall be saved. It's a beautiful promise and that's what we want to do right now. So church, we're going to pray this out loud. If you'll pray along with con uh, with, for encouragement let's just say dear heavenly father I come to you in Jesus name I believe Jesus died on the cross that he rose again and he's seated on the throne father forgive me for all that I've done wrong and I choose to forgive all others come into my heart today and forever. I am yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's celebrate, church. That is amazing. If you raise your hand, we are so, so proud of you. We are so glad that today your life will forever be different. Jesus has an amazing plan. When you raised your hand, you were given a booklet. Inside that booklet, there's a card, and at the bottom, this little white part can be tear, uh, teared off, tore off, teared off, can be tore off. I'm gonna ask that you'll fill out the information on that and take it out to the information desk. Uh, we just wanna be praying with you, but that's a, our, our way of being able to connect with you. So we are, we are very, very thankful for what you did. We wanna move in now to a, a time of communion. And, and this is gonna be different because for those of you that raise your hand, this has a brand new meaning. This isn't just a religious thing that we're doing. This is a celebration of what Jesus did for us on the cross. So would you all stand with me? And we talk through, we talk through communion we talked through the, the evening that Jesus spent with the disciples. 
doing what we're doing right now. The Bible says that, that Jesus took the bread and he broke it. That breaking of the bread was a symbol, sim, symbolizing Jesus' body being broken on the cross. It's a sign, if you know anything of what happened on that cross, and even leading up to it, Jesus was whipped. He had stripes on his back for they, where they would whip him. He was given a crown of thorns, mocking him as, king, quote, king of the Jews. But they would shove that crown of thorns on his head. He was humiliated that you might be redeemed. His body was broken that you might be healed. When we take this bread, we are remembering that Jesus' body, by his stripes, we are healed. We are healed spiritually. We are saved because of what he did. Our destiny is forever different. We're remembering that. We're remembering that because Jesus' body was broken and through the stripes, that we are healed physically. God will touch your body. He heals today. You may have a, an emotional hurt or some sort of a wound. A wound from a family member. A wound from a, a church. God wants to heal that wound. He was broken that you would be healed. So Jesus, we thank you for the bread on the bottom of your cup. You can tear that bottom off. The bread is under there. But Jesus, we thank you for this bread. We thank you that it symbolizes your body that was broken for your stripes that we might be healed. Lord, we proclaim that now and we thank you for your healing in Jesus' name. If you open the other side, it's your juice. But this symbolizes the blood of Jesus Christ. This symbolizes the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for you, that your sins might be forgiven. When we place our trust in him, when we give him our heart, the blood of Jesus instantly washes us clean of all that sin. It literally means you become a new person. So we take this juice. We remember that Jesus Christ shed his blood that our sins would be forgiven. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your blood that was shed. We thank you for the forgiveness of sin and that without you going to that cross, we'd never be forgiven. We'd never be free. So I proclaim and I plead the blood of Jesus over each person here. I pray, Jesus, that in your name you would wash out sin. God, I pray that in your name that any demonic influence in people's lives would be broken in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Amen.